welcome back to another episode of Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia. I am a content creator. I am also the host of the show. I'm also a stripper and I am also a former sugar baby. I have done a lot of things <laughs> in regards to sex work and that also includes some really cool lectures and talks. So I recorded with Alicia Armstrong. Sorry, I should say Professor Alicia Armstrong. Um, she is one of the adjunct professors at Florida State University in human sexuality. And I have had the opportunity to guest lecture in a few of her human sexuality classes, including last month, just here in June, uh, talking about the shifting landscape of sex work. And I was really excited because each class is is totally different. I cater the talk to what the students send in and stuff. And this was a really fun and engaging class. And it's just a bonus episode this week uh, while I source some new guests and also take some took a little bit of a break uh, for the summer just so I could have a life as well. I've been doing this for two years nonstop. And yeah, I really hope that you all enjoy the talk. Um, it's a it was a it was a tight one hour chat because I was able to speak to the class at the very end of class. I was like, oh, I don't want to go over. So um, listen in to this bonus episode of my guest lecture talk at Florida State University. Enjoy. Steph Sia has joined us. She is our fabulous guest speaker today. Are you on, Steph? Hi. I am. Hi. <laughs> there you are. It's great. So good to see you again. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Um, I will let you. We've, the, we've talked as a class. They. Um, we're prepared that you are coming to speak, and I know I sent you some questions that they that the group had, and I'm sure there might be more that come up. Um, class goes till 12:55 our time, so just a little over an hour. So we'll get through as much as we can. Um, sometimes you have a PowerPoint, sometimes you don't. What? How did? What did you do today, Steph? Yeah, I did bring a PowerPoint today. So if you wanted, do you want to do that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If I could screen share, that'd be awesome. It's just to keep me on track because I know <laughs> with the time and everything <laughs> I I get that let me should now be able to share your screen but okay. check perfect let me just give this a try um okay. and I'll let you introduce yourself yeah um, absolutely for sure let me screen share da, da, da. You know, it's really funny because, oh, damn, maybe I can't. I have to change my preferences. Oh, no. Um, if not, then I can always just do it on my end. I mean, the PowerPoint is just complimentary. It's not <laughs> It's not super mandatory, but, um, yeah. Let me see here. Oh, share screen. Okay, well, just give it on time. I'm just going to go ahead and just do it on okay. my own here. So I guess, yeah, if that's okay, <laughs> if that's okay with you. And if you want, you could, if you want to email it to me, I can send it to the group later if it's something that, that you think is worth doing that. But if it's mostly to keep you on track, then we don't have it's to do It's just that. a talking point, so. <laughs> cool, 
right. I'll turn it over to you. Awesome. Well, everyone, thank you for having me this morning. It is morning and it's so funny because I was trying to avoid getting up really early and then I had to get up really early to do another contract and sex work at 6 a.m. this morning. So yeah, I'm I'm awake, um, but I don't feel like I'm super awake, but I'm going to just, just bear with me <laughs> as I do this talk. Um, so I guess, who am I? I am Steph Sia. I am a digital content creator. I'm also a stripper. I'm also, uh, or was a former sugar baby. And I am also the host of the Strip by Sia podcast, which is a podcast that tells the true lived experiences of sex workers in order to help destigmatize the work because I'm sure I was just listening in really briefly to your class when I popped in five minutes ago. There is a lot of stigma that comes with the, with the work that we do as sex workers and I think it's really important to share the lived experiences of like what it actually it is that we do instead of other people telling our story and kind of you know trying to share the narrative that they think that they may know but usually it's wrong so <laughs> so that's what i do every single sunday um feel free to take a listen if you'd like there's tons of various subjects on there from consent from you know harder subjects such as sexual assault to lots of different policies from around the world um i'm based here in canada um but there is a lot of listeners that are actually american that number keeps going up actually so it's really, really exciting, and um, it's something I really enjoy doing. I've been doing that for the past two years almost, and it's just my little passion project, which seems to be getting bigger and bigger, and I really enjoy just connecting with other sex workers and other, other um, non-sex workers, like civilians such as yourselves, who want to know more about the work that is that we do and to gain a better understanding, to gain a bit more empathy. So that's just a little bit of background about who I am. Um, I guess to go more into detail, um, why I started it, oh gosh, well, someone told me at the club, um, stripper culture is really interesting or really fascinating or something along those lines. And I was like, well, what, what, do, you, what do you mean by that? And this person was like, oh, well, you know, a lot of you have like large followings. A lot of you have different stories. A lot of you are really well educated. And it was just a really nice, refreshing take because uh, stereotypically what you would, you might hear, oh, like sex workers are not educated. When are you going to get a real job? A lot of us are suffering from sub substance abuse or we're all alcoholics um, and that our work is easy or can be seen as easy money, which I don't necessarily agree with. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of true legitimate work. So I thought that was an interesting statement. And it just kind of like, oh, made like a light bulb go up in my head. And I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. I think I can really dive deeper into what this person has said. And obviously the person has had no real experience in the sex work industry at all, except being a client, which is also really valid too, but had only that lens. And I was like, oh, well, if this one person is thinking like that, then I'm sure a lot of other people may have or may, may share the same kind of sentiments. So that kind of uh, helped embark me on my journey to uncover more stories and just connect with more sex workers and like get the real stories out there and and learn and uncover what issues we're going through 
um, initially just starting here uh, in Vancouver, Canada, then branching off into my connections in the States and then through Asia, Europe. And now it's just kind of going all over the place because sex work is a global thing. So that's kind of where I got started with that. And the whole notion that sex work is work. Um, I think one of your students mentioned earlier, um, it's not seen as something that is legitimized at all. And a big aim for the podcast is to help gain a better understanding of, well, it actually, it is real work. It's something that, you know, a lot of people really like and enjoy doing. And I think it's really important to show that side. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have really enjoyed doing the podcast for the past couple of years. I just seem to keep going and just rolling with the momentum. So, it's not your homework, but you're more than welcome to take a listen to it later on if, you, if you'd like. <laughs> so um, a lot of people are usually really interested in terms of like, well, how did I get started into sex work? What was my introduction? Was it something you always wanted to do? Because I also hear that even talking with my guests. Oh, I've always wanted to become a stripper. Oh, I've always wanted to do this. I have exhibitionist tendencies and this is just like the perfect job for me or... You know, I tried doing corporate jobs. Um, it just isn't for me. Or maybe they have a disability and sex work is like a more, um, uh, a better suited job for them. So there's so many different reasons why people get into sex work. Um, and obviously money. <laughs> the money is pretty lucrative. It's great. Um, but my personal entry into sex work was when I was living with a roommate a long time ago and I had just come out of this really, really big devastating breakup and it's my first kind of big breakup in my life so a bit traumatic for myself to be like oh, I don't know what I'm doing with my life I don't know who I am I can't value myself and all these things going through my head and I thought okay well, I'm just gonna start dating <laughs> as as you would after a big breakup oh, I just gotta get back to my zone again and my roommate um suggested oh well why don't you try this thing called seeking arrangement um, which I'm sure many of you may or may not have heard of. It is a very popular website that matches affluential, uh, usually typically men, with much younger, typically students, um, and you both will negotiate on a mutually, mutually beneficial agreement, um, and that person would be your sugar daddy, and they would be my sugar baby. So that was kind of my introduction, and I didn't really understand what that meant. I did not understand that sugaring was sex work. I just thought, oh, I'm going to get paid to have dinner with this person. Um, but I didn't really understand the full scope of like, there's going to be expectations there. And I learned that really quickly that, oh, oh, um, I might have to have sex with this, per with this person. And that was maybe I was just really naive. Um, it it's just not something that ever came to my mind when I was thinking about it. I just thought money, fast money. That's what I thought because that's what society told me. Easy money. This is going to be great. Okay, cool. Um, but then quickly learning that sex is involved um, was a really big awakening for me, but also something that I enjoyed because I thought, well, the money's really good and this is this enables me to do a lot of things that I personally would not be able to do with that type of money. Um, like buy a place or like go traveling to these far off destinations and whatnot or whatever you want to spend your money on 
really isn't, <laughs> it's not up to me. Everyone has their own preferences and priorities of where they want to put their money. But that was kind of my first entry into it. And I made them, oh, gosh, looking back now, I just think, oh gosh, I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> looking back, oh my God, you know, not knowing uh, what my worth was, not knowing how to price, um, and also just general screening and, and stuff like that, which we'll get more into later in terms of um, boundaries and, and screening and security because there's a lot of questions on that later, which I will. Thank you for everyone, by the way, who submitted questions. I will be answering all of them today at some point in the presentation. Also leaving room at the end of the presentation, hopefully if we have time um, for additional questions. So that was um, kind of my first phase into into sex work and again not knowing that that was sex work I just thought okay I'm a paid companion um and I get to go on these fancy dinner dates and trips with these affluential men and then I started stripping a few years after that I started phasing out sugar babying because I didn't really want to do it anymore and those reasons being because I want to find a relationship and I, I want to you know start adulting <laughs> at the ripe age old, like the ripe age of 28 or however old I was at that time and um, started stripping and that was honestly a lot of fun and that's something I still do. Um, clubs have just reopened here in Canada which has been really exciting and um, that to me was a little bit more seamless because I had already been dancing in uh, more of a hobbyist uh, fashion. So I, I started taking pole dancing lessons and then six months later I started, you know, dabbling in amateur nights and amateur nights are, you know, you usually go to a club, um, you compete with other amateurs as well. Um, you get full nude and then you win a big prize, you AKA a lot of money and, or possibly a position to work, um, at the club or work with the agency. So that's what happened in my, in my um, kind of introduction, introduction to stripping. I cannot speak this morning, <laughs> my apologies. Um, and that to me was um, safer. And, and what I mean by safer was that, well, I'm not having to engage in these in-person sessions and, oh, oh gosh, oh no, what happened? Connections lost. Recording in progress. Oh, oh hello. <laughs> hello again. There okay. we are. I think it just like broke down to me. Like, what's going on here? Ah, apologies. I'm not sure what happened there. <laughs> Was that for everyone? <laughs> okay. Feels like that me. Um, but it was safer because, like, in my own mind, I had this uh, stigma that uh, I carried over and. I didn't want to do in-person work because to me in-person work at that time was like lower and it was dirtier than stripping. Stripping I didn't have to do that. I'm just dancing on stage or I'm dancing on people doing lap dances and I'm not engaging in full service um, like contact in that kind of way. So that to me was a lot different and we'll go into what that means like that's called the hierarchy and there's different levels um, you know things like camming and stuff are seen as safer or maybe on top of the pyramid scale, which I'll, I'll go into a little bit later in the, in the conversation today. So again, having the stigma in the back of my mind, and I didn't understand what that was either. Um, but those attitudes 
were something that I had maybe grew up with um, since childbirth, possibly. Um, you know, with my background, well, one, being Asian, uh, two, growing up in a strict, like, Roman Catholic family, and having, and then normal society <laughs> saying, sex work bad, stripping bag, any, anything to do with, you know, <laughs> honestly, femininity equals bad. So those kind of notions in my mind, it just, it just deemed that, like, this work is not acceptable. And I was moonlighting for, like, a long time because I had an office job the entire time I was stripping, I mean, to this day as well. And um, that was uh, really revealing. And then again, it wasn't until that time at the club when, when someone told me like, oh, well, this, this world is really interesting, which really caused me to kind of reflect and dive deeper on why I'm feeling this way. And it's taken me a long time to get there, but I, in order to like change my attitudes um, towards different types of sex work because there are a lot of different types of sex work and um judging from some of the questions that came in i feel maybe people have different definitions of what sex work is or what sex work would entail i would love to invite the audience to just like answer and 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 give your own definition of of what sex work is you could plug that into the chat and then we can kind of go over it later if you want to um but yeah so that was that was kind of my foray into stripping and then I got into digital content creation. So, I mean, with the pandemic, um, obviously a lot of people have been jumping onto OnlyFans or any kind of video sites or fan sites. Um, I had done that pretty much like a year prior to the pandemic, but then I was able to really ramp it up during um, COVID because well, with all the clubs being shut down and, you know, in-person venues, like not being able to operate anymore uh, for like an X amount of time and I didn't know when it was gonna open again, like, I had to do something um, in order to make some extra money. So that's kind of where I am right now and that's kind of like my, my foray into different types of sex work and lots of dabbling and trying things out. Um, I mean, as you would with any job, you gotta you know try a few different jobs, maybe a couple different industries if you're not as possibly like focused or you don't really know what you want to do it's the same kind of thing again sex work it's a job it's work very similar <laughs> so um did anyone uh, also if anyone has any questions at all feel free to pop it in and I could always just address them at the end of class today um but I wanted to talk a bit more uh, about language and I'm, I'm curious like if anyone wants to pop in and write um what what you think sex work is, um, maybe different types of sex work. I'd love to just possibly read out a couple. Um, I just want to understand like what your attitudes towards sex work is. So if anyone wants to plop some into the chat, I will give you a minute or maybe less because <laughs> I know that we're on a time crunch today. So, um, because at this point, um, there's just so many different, like language is really important. And I was saying earlier, there are so many different, oh, are we freezing? No, okay. <laughs> I was like, is everything okay? Well, uh, well, you're not for me, but I'm not sure. For anyone else? It was, it was, when, you, it was when you stepped away. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Don't yeah, step away. <laughs> 
Yeah, Elbert had something at 12.05. That was just a minute ago. Was she freezing for you, Elbert? Yeah, that was a while back. Oh, oh it's, uh, maybe my time is wrong on the chat, but it says 12.05, 12.06. Okay, all right, doesn't matter. Sorry. No, no, you're good. You're, <laughs> you're all good. Oh, but, but y'all should know what the definition of sex work is. Come on, get your books out. Look at the PowerPoint. Yeah, look at the PowerPoint. Type it in there. Let's go. Type it in. Or if, if anyone wants to shout it out, I'm also okay with that too. <laughs> and if my definition or the textbook definition doesn't match what we talk about in here, that's cool too. That's the purpose of this. Okay, so sex work. Sex positive term that encompasses the various forms of sexual professions, burlesque, strip club dancing, nude photography, internet sex, actor, actresses in erotic films, escorts, erotic massage, 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 and <laughs> sexual intercourse. So many. Trade, trade of sex related actions for material resources, transactional. Mm-hmm. Those are the two definitions. Those are Thank you. Yeah, those are excellent. Does anyone else want to? Yes. Oldest profession known to man, 100%. Humankind. I like the <laughs> gender inclusive language there. Thank you for that. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, we're on the same page. <laughs> those are great definitions. And honestly, I, I probably wouldn't change any of that. That was perfect. Alicia, did you, did you type that up? That's awesome. <laughs> I did, but I think I probably typed it from the textbook. <laughs> that's okay. I think, I'll take credit. I think it's great. <laughs> I like to read this textbook. Um, yeah, I, I will. I can mail you a copy of it. How about that? Please send. Send. That would be awesome. I will. <laughs> so, no, that's really great. Yeah, like um, my definition is like a type of sexualized service in exchange for monetary value, affluence, status, or power. Um, yeah, like... That can mean so many things because, um, as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't always have to be for monetary value. Um, like, for example, when I was uh, sugaring, it could to it could be to gain access to some of my sugar daddy's connections to help me with my business. Um, it could also be, um, well, we call them splendid daddies, but... <laughs> Like, instead of mon- money, um, you could also do, uh, like, in, in kind in terms of, like, vacations or, you know, people like gifts, um, my Amazon wish list, people like shopping sprees, too, or paying off uh, your rent and stuff like that. So there's so many different kinds of exchanges that can go um, within sex work. So, and I also like that definition, the textbook definition of like the different types, because there are so many different types of sex work, and I think it nailed a lot of it. Um, but again, sex work is always constantly evolving as well. So I'm not, I don't think we really have time right now to list every single type of sex work out. Um, but the textbook did a great definition of defining just some of those examples there. But um, in terms of, what I was saying earlier with the hierarchy and I probably will send you um, at least this graphic maybe later on today or, or the presentation if you want to send it to your students. Cause I think this one graphic is really interesting or you could quickly Google hierarchy. Um, it's, it's basically a pyramid and the top of the pyramid, you can probably see, you know, non-contact type of sex work like camming, 
Um, and it goes just down to the more full service types of sex work. So, for example, this particular pyramid had cam girls at the top. And then it would go down to strippers and, and sugar babies, dominatrixes, um, indoor prostitutes, and then street level prostitutes. So it is, it's really sad because there are, there's all still a lot of hierarchy within sex work. And I mean, you'd think that we would all be united on the same issues, but we're not. And it's, it's really sad because sometimes people still have these um, competing attitudes with the type of sex work that, that we do. So, and that's, that's definitely one of the issues that we have within our own community. And I'm sure every marginalized community might have something like that too. Like for example, um, another example, um, I'm Filipino and in the Philippines we have like papaya soap, which is like a whitening soap. And like the lighter skinned you are, like the, the better you'll be treated, the darker skinned you are means you're lower class. And that this can be, I mean, it's colorism in, in really simple terms, but this can also be um, applied to different types of races too. So when you have these intersection intersectionalities um, within sex work, it creates, it can create like even more animosity when there really doesn't need to be. And this is something I really want to bring up too, because um, just because we are a community doesn't always mean that we are united and we always have our own inner issues that we're working um, on as well. In addition to all the other fighting that we have to do against society. So it's it can be really, really exhausting and really tiring. <laughs> so I really, really want to um, uh, bring, bring that up. Um, cause I don't think it's something that may come up in say like a normal class like this. I mean, it's a really common topic amongst sex workers, but maybe not amongst civilians <laughs> such as yourself. So I just want to bring light to that. So, um, I guess we can kind of go into, um, safety, security and screening, uh, just cause there are a few questions that came into that. So, I think it's really important, and I'll just start off this branch of communication here, um, in terms of setting your boundaries. Um, and and um, that might look a little different in different forms of sex work. So what I mean by setting your boundaries, not just like what you do, what services you offer or what's on your menu, but it's also like uh, things like uh, using a stage name or an alias. You can also do, um, if you're a cam model or if you have an OnlyFans, removing all EXIF data from your pictures and videos, like things that can locate you or like reveal your location. Um, another thing like on your iPhone, you could turn off your location settings from your phone so people won't try to <laughs> stalk you because that's also happened. That's another thing that can also happen to us in our community. Um, uh, if you are, if you do any kind of full service in-person work, uh, conducting a background check, if you have the access to that. Um, also, <laughs> this sounds really silly, but having your clients follow simple instructions. So for example, um, if you're an escort, there's usually on the website, like, please give me your name, um, you know, your phone number, um, like a picture, a photo of your driver's license or whatever it is, because everyone's checklist is a little bit different in terms of screening but 
you'd be surprised that a lot of people just can't follow simple directions. <laughs> but, and they understand, like, they don't, they might not understand, like, from the client side, like, we are taking security and safety measures to protect ourselves, to protect our identity, to protect um, our locations where we are. Um, those questions may seem to be inconvenient for some people, but again, if you're taking these steps, then you know it's more likely that they will probably get back to you. And if you don't follow those instructions, then you won't get responded to. So <laughs> just wanted to like bring that up a, a little bit as well. And in turn, and also in addition to setting your own boundaries, it's also you have to know what your boundaries are as well. So again, like when I first started sugaring, I didn't have any boundaries. I didn't know. I just thought everything, you know, it was like on the table. And you don't have to cater to every single client. If there's things that you don't feel comfortable doing, no one says that you have to do it. There are plenty of fish in the sea. There are plenty of clients. And, you know, a lot of us, I mean, for myself, I, I can be very niche with what I'm offering because like, I don't want to do X, Y, and Z. There's going to be someone else that offers X, Y, and Z and ABC and everything. So <laughs> sometimes I feel um, when I'm speaking with people that are new to sex work, they might feel a bit of pressure to want to offer everything. But again, knowing, knowing your own personal values, knowing your own personal boundaries, um, it's really, really important. And unfortunately, sometimes that just comes with time uh, and experience as well. So, um, oh, I see a question here. Oh, how can I? Oh, yes. I will definitely answer some questions at the end. <laughs> I, but there were actually a few questions. I'll just read them out here in regards to this topic too. So, uh, because it's related, but before providing any type of service, what would be important for a potential client uh, to know or to ask questions about? Um, again, like <laughs> services I don't offer. Um, I, it's it might seem harmless uh, as a client to ask about services I don't offer, but again, going along by following those simple directions, if I if it's not listed out, and hopefully, again, um, as a sex worker, you should be listing out what it is. You have and just being super clear on what it is you do offer and what you don't offer just to really avoid any confusion any kind of uh chance or opportunity that um a person can make assumptions or for you to take advantage of because those can turn into potentially dangerous situations as well so um i don't usually entertain those type of requests or i just say oh, i'm sorry i don't offer that or please refer to my link here that has everything there. So um, I just don't really entertain those kind of ideas. Um, I would also say, yeah, going over each of your boundaries. So also as a client uh, too, if, if I'm a service provider, I also wanna know what your boundaries are too. So I'm not overstepping. It definitely goes both ways. And it's also good to know that as well. Um, and also depends on the type of work that's being offered, the type of sex work as well. Um, I don't really offer a lot of in-person sessions anymore, but hygiene is a big thing um believe it or not hygiene is a really great thing <laughs> it might seem like silly to say that but um there's a reason why you know most in calls have showers and we ask you to take a shower <laughs> beforehand um 
So we can also enjoy the experience because, again, we choose to do this type of profession um, and we want to ensure that everyone's clean. Also, it smells great. <laughs> Might seem silly, but yeah, these are big things that we, we talk about <laughs> in my podcast. Just some what I can think of silly things sometimes. So that was one of the questions. Um, how do you handle situations that may be a risk in the sense of your personal safety or um, the safety of others? And I thought that was a really great question. Um, again, personal safety, I don't F with. I just don't. I'm already at risk of, you know, doing this type of work and I don't want to further target myself or potentially expose myself to any more risk, especially when it's, when it could be like a, something that can be like physically, um, like physical harm. Um, I think that's really, um, dangerous and there are, because of the work and because of the nature that, uh, of the work that we do, it, it is very, um, it's very intimate and vulnerable and we are subjected to you know we we are a lot more targeted um with our work and there are a lot of missing and um missing and murdered sex workers um i also wanted to bring that up so especially when they are of indigenous or like bipoc queer trans they're even more so targeted too so it's important that we have these types of screenings and for our screenings um, to be taken really seriously. So I don't want to bring it down, but <laughs> it's unfortunately a fact that um, if you ever Googled the missing um, and murdered indigenous woman in Canada, there was a huge report on that. Um, again, and I'm sure numbers are still being added to that as well but we are an endangered community we're an endangered marginalized group so just wanted to bring some attention to that as well so uh safety is really really key and again it's something that i don't really mess around with <laughs> um and when it comes to the safety of others again it just comes down to clear communication knowing what each other's boundaries are um maybe having de depending on the type of work that you do having um, a safe word or some kind of phrase or something that you can use um, once your boundaries, you know, it starts to get a bit too close to that. It's good to have those safety precautions in place. So hopefully that answered that person's questions. And I'm so sorry, it is so bright over here. <laughs> the sun is now shining on me and giving me a nice tan on my back. <laughs> um, I guess we can go more into, um, I guess the laws uh, different types of legislation. There was a, I think, a question around this as well. And in terms of like similarities and um, differences between sex work in Canada and sex work in the USA. Um, honestly, there's a lot of similarities. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. And then uh, thank you, Dylan, for that. And also the, the, the children that were found, the bodies of the children that were found recently is deplorable. But that's another topic, but also equally like traumatic to the group of people. So thank you for sharing. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of similarities, um, I guess, in between in the Canadian and North American context. Um, I feel there, yeah, a lot of similarities. I would say maybe the main differences, at least in terms of strip clubs, we don't really have champagne rooms here. We don't have at least... Where I am in Vancouver, we don't have that. Um, we also don't have really crazy drop-in fees. 
because um, usually if you're VIPing, and I don't really VIP that much, or giving private lap dances, um, the later you come at the club, the higher your drop-in fee is going to be. If you come earlier, it's going to be less. Um, I find here in Vancouver, it's just the same flat fee, which is nice. Um, uh, champagne room is a room usually actually found, yeah, I would say some places in the USA, but definitely more popular in Europe. Um, it's a place where you can get private dances um, and usually usually buy champagne and then you are expected to drink it with your clients as well. So, But I find that that's a more popular model in, in Europe. So, and, but yeah, so if you have more questions, I'll definitely answer more at the end. <laughs> like, But that was like on topic, so... <laughs> Um, but yeah, there are um, similar laws, I guess, um, that bar sex workers from operating. Um, we have a law here, um, it's like an anti-prostitution law called Bill C-36, which is the, uh, protect, the Protection of the Communities and Exploited Persons Act, and it's, it's problematic in many ways, and I can't remember who was speaking earlier. Um, but they were making a comment uh, about how tricky it was to kind of digest the information in terms of uh, like uh, surrounding the laws and legislation around sex work. And I feel like they purposely make it really difficult or confusing to understand. Because if you, if you ever read through, say, Bill C-36 or even some of the American legislation too, it's not clear cut. And it has a, I feel like, again, I think they just do that on purpose to confuse us. But the one in Canada, the anti-prostitution laws, um, like, I think the, the sale, the purchase of sex is legal, but everything else surrounding it is not legal. So, for example, they make it really difficult for sex workers to, especially especially in um, regards to prostitution or kind of full service sex work they make it difficult for you to advertise they make it difficult for you like it's not legalized for you to live off the avails off of like the money that you make um you can't operate uh brothels just a few things um which make it really difficult and it forces sex work underground just like in the states like Test FOSTA, which I'm sure you probably have gone over in class, I think, Alicia, you... Oh, maybe not so much. Um, no. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Um, it's not, not yet. Not yet. Oh, it's coming up. <laughs> it's coming. I don't want to do any spoilers here, but um, it's uh, anti-human trafficking laws, which I think you were really briefly touching on when I was jumping on to this call. But um, these anti-trafficking laws jumble up sex work along with um, exploited persons, um, specifically those who are being trafficked. And again, there, there is a difference between sex work and, and, and uh, trafficking. Sex work, we are choosing to do this type of work. Like, it's our livelihood. And I mean, to put it simply, like, when you're trafficked, like, you're, there's no consent there. And you're being exploited. That At the point, it's exploitation. So... It's dangerous for these lawmakers to make uh, decisions like this for us, again, and also without consulting sex workers as well, which is like another topic, but it's really dangerous because as I said earlier, it really forces 
our work underground and when you're not given anywhere to say market yourself or you know like how are you supposed to find clients and business it just makes it really really difficult um to operate and to survive even simply put so it makes it really really increasingly difficult for sex workers to thrive um Similar to that, uh, there's a, a new bill that's in its first reading in Canada. So basically for a bill to come law, to become law, it has to go through um, three different readings and it has to go through different processes for uh, the Senate to review and consult with people. Like, is this something that we really, we really want to do? And it's basically the human equivalent of Sestapasta. So again, another anti-human trafficking bill, which again... It's the same kind of thing. It jumbles us all up into one category, which isn't fair um, and makes it really difficult for us to survive. So that there's also um, something rather new as well. Uh, the CISEA, I want to call it CISEA. So Stop Internet Sex Exploitation Act. And that was introduced in the USA in December of 2020. So pretty recent. So I don't think it's official yet. And that is also a little bit tricky. And that's that bill was to kind of counteract um, underage porn um, from, you know, getting uploaded onto, say, like Pornhub or like ManyVids or any of those um, free online porn sites. And I think what they're trying to do is trying to catch uh, um, or take down, sorry, not catch, but take down videos that they deem is child porn within 24 hours, which sounds very ambitious and I'm not sure how they would get the resources <laughs> to do that, but that's something that that's still being speculated on. Um, and I'm trying to keep up with that too, because that would, that would be, that would be really interesting to see them really regulate that. Cause I don't know how, personally, I just don't know how they're going to be able to do that. So that and then also I, I think it's worth noting as well um section 230 which you, i think you might also go in class but to, that's i think that's to do with um um speech like freedom of speech on the internet and how that's being regulated and that can be damaging again to sex workers too in terms of like the content that we can display online um, which I'm also following. So I'm not super knowledgeable on that, but it's also worth noting as well. So um, yeah, I guess the last part here too, because I want to leave some room for questions and we have a few, like 25 minutes left in class, but um, there was a question uh, around here in terms of sex work organizing and unions. So the question was, are there any organized labor movements in the sex work field or any unionization efforts, what hurdles may they face um, that are unique to the profession? So, um, yeah, there are. <laughs> I'm happy to say there are a lot. Of, there is a lot of organizing um, and unions as well uh, when it comes to sex work. So, I would say like the first sex work union that was formed was probably back in '96 with. Um, the Lusty Lady, you may or may not have heard of it. Maybe some of you might be too young for that. <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's an old um, peep show venue that was uh, in both Seattle and San Francisco, which was really fascinating. And 
the workers fought to um uh they fought for the right to have a union to form a union and then they were later formed into a workers collective which i thought was really fascinating so but i mean that was some odd years ago now but there have been a lot of organizing efforts within the sex work community and not just here in america but also on a global scale as well so i can definitely list out a few um i mean here in canada we have the canadian alliance for sex work law reform which is an incredible incredible resource and it's about 25 um sex worker groups um that fight a lot of different causes or help to um educate people on sex work and they've recently that bill c36 that i told you about earlier that's exclusive to canada they're actually they've just launched a charter challenge um just a couple months ago actually on that because they're deeming that as unconstitutional so they're doing work like that which i think is fantastic because the that law has been in place forever <laughs> and has been challenged since so i thought that was really fascinating um there's also um soldiers of pole which is um la based and that's more to do with uh strip clubs and strippers so if you didn't know um, most of the time strippers are seen as independent contractors so we are not eligible for benefits or you know vacation pay or or um the standard pay and whatnot like things like that and soldiers of pole helps to i think they're trying to form a union uh around getting employee status in strip clubs and there are pros and cons to that on both sides not everyone wants to be an employee because some, a lot of people a lot of strippers want to remain independent contractors do their to their flexibility of the work that they do um they don't want to be i mean there's there's so many reasons that we can go into about why they want they don't want to do that but there's also a lot of pros on that side as well like i said having benefits um you know rights to better standard working conditions and stuff like that uh, basic human rights to be honest so i mean that's my own opinion um but there is a lot of we're, we're not consistent on that as like a whole community so that one there is based in la we also have the adult performers artist guild which um is mainly for porn performers uh cam girls any anyone that's online clip creators uh, things like that to help create better working conditions in the porn industry specifically. So I thought that was really fascinating. That's just something I brand new I learned about a few weeks ago. Um, the United Sex Workers, that one there is based in the UK and they actually won uh, an employment tribunal um, similar to what um, LA is fighting for too. Um, so going from, servers going from independent contracting to uh, being employees. So that's something that they're doing over there on that side of the world. There's also the Berlin Strippers Collective, um, Scarlet Alliance, Australian Sex Workers Association, Red Light United in Amsterdam. Like there are a lot of, a lot of organizations um, and these are just unions, but there are tons and tons and tons of sex worker led and operated organizations all across the world um and I, I find it fascinating i think it's great and a lot of them have uh similar um missions in terms of you know fighting for equality um fighting to achieve better working conditions um 
holding, say, clubs or agencies up to higher standards, the appeal of benefits, like there's lots and lots and lots of stuff there. So I think um, there's a lot of efforts to be made within sex work and I think there's a lot of progress and a lot of buzz around it as well. So yeah. I actually forgot to mention a couple of questions here, so I'll just read them out now, and I think they're kind of similar. They're on my other laptop. Um, the subject of financial domination has seemed to come into public view recently thanks to a few viral online magazines, articles, and short documentaries, of course. Um, is there a point where financial domination can go too far? How would, consist, um, sorry, how would consent be navigated so as to be enjoyable for both parties but still maintain a level of financial safety? And there is another question here as well that's also related to kinks. I'm going to, I think I can answer both of these questions in a similar fashion. So the other question was, how are more extreme forms of BDSM work that involve pain play or stripping someone of their autonomy kept both safe and enjoyable? So yeah, it's a really, really great questions. Thank you, whoever sent those questions in. I think it's awesome. Uh, I think for this question, how I would answer it kind of, there's a few things here. So again, going back to what I said about boundaries, knowing what those boundaries are. Um, again, if there's any kind of safe word or any kind of uh, word or statement that you can say to be like, okay, this is, you're, this is getting really close. Um, just so that to give that other person a heads up, like give your service provider heads up. Um, but also know that you're playing a role. And a lot of the times in sex work, we are role playing. And we have different personas and different aliases in the club, also outside the club. Um, I think it's really important to know what role you are playing as a client, but also what role we are also providing as the provider. So I feel a lot of the times we are role playing to a fantasy or for a certain situation to be played out, um, especially in these specific kinks. Um, so I think it's really, really good to note that. And this might sound cliche or <laughs> cheesy, but also it's it's kind of about the connection too. And I think that there is actually a lot of care that goes into these um, kind of kinks and these kind of fetishes. And I think that is what sets apart, say, new new people in sex work and also like separates it out from seasoned professionals because of course financial domination of course is a big buzz around that oh my gosh this person's gonna drain my wallet and gonna drain my bank account and all this stuff it, it sounds really cool and like edgy and stuff but I think there has to be some kind of degree of care and once you establish that connection with uh your client or whoever your client base is I think there is a certain responsibility that you should take. Um, at least personally, for me, that's how I treat my clients. Not everyone will be the same, but this is something, a topic that I've, I've spoken with other dominatrixes as well, not specifically to financial domination, but, but also with BDSM and kink too, because there is definitely an area where you can go too far. There's always a risk where you can cross the line. So just know that, um, but also really work on like building that connection with whoever it is that you're engaging with. So yeah, I guess with that, like, are there any other additional questions or kind of left like an extra 10, 15 minutes or so for that? <laughs> I see lots of note taking. 
and smiles. <laughs> um, I think. Okay, I have a question because I find it interesting about the um, independent contractors because I honestly didn't know that mm -hmm. um, that you were talking about. So I just wanted to make a comment on that because that's really interesting. So like how does it go about um, if it were to become employee, like employee based in certain like clubs and stuff, would it be almost like a hair salon where like you would pay to be a part of it or like you pay some of your commission to the owner or like how would that work do you think yeah that's a good question and I'm not sure because it's not that's not the way it's run here in Vancouver Canada but um how would I paint it this way so independent contracting is just like freelancing and uh say employee status is just you working um at a regular like nine to five job so for and i'll give you more context here too so with independent contracting i'm already keeping track of all the money that i'm making and i can write off certain things and whatnot and then when you switch over to employee status you're going to be given um i don't know what it's, the equivalent of it's called in american context but you'd get like a t4 at the end of the year to do your taxes so you'd be taxed on that type of work i mean we you are i mean usually you're supposed to <laughs> do your taxes but um also claim some of that money too so it would it would definitely shift and that's why a lot of people are not for going to an employee status because that would also create barriers but there's also i mean on the flip side because people are fighting for employee status it's because these parameters are already in place you telling me I have to be at the club between this time and this time is already like you're already setting my shift. Um, you know, if you have to sell certain things or you have to do things that are are specific to that job when you're there, like you're already doing things that are specific to a job that's not contracting anymore. So I can definitely see both sides of that argument. And there actually is a case here in Canada that um, one of my friends is fighting right now too to try to get employee status because of all the tremendous cuts that certain clubs can take depending on the owners. Like she was getting um, cuts for drinks that she's never sold, drinks that she's never consumed before, um, larger like pay cuts as well too. Cause like, I mean, I'll use an example for my own work too with the strip clubs, you have to be employed by an agency. Um, but you're not employed employed but you get your work you get booked through the agency as you would say if you were an actor or something um but they take cuts from that there's a booking fee for that there's another fee for doing vip even if i don't feel like selling anything that day i still get that docked so i can definitely see both sides of the arg argument i think there's pros and cons to both but it just depends on where where you land or how you operate your business because basically it is a business it literally is so great question so, so then that kind of goes into another question are you getting are you having to basically do a cut for the agency and the opera like and the club that you're being agent or agent out to i don't know how to say that but <laughs> like but like that's another great question because i don't know yeah. I find that more interesting. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is fascinating. Um, 
for this specifically, um, at least here in Vancouver, it's just the agency. That, so I think they, and I don't know exactly how the agencies work, but I think they have partnerships with certain clubs or, yeah, because they're, they, yeah, exactly. Some, some strip clubs are not represented by the agency and they are just independent. But for the ones that are operating under an agency, it just goes through the agency so there's no additional cut to the club or anything like that. The only the only additional fee that I can think of is the fees that you pay the DJ or in some cases, like whoever's emceeing the night, um, you pay a cut from each lap dance. So lap dance is a X amount of price and you pay a small fee to them at the end of the night or per dance. So they take a bit of a cut on that too. Yeah, good questions. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming. It was a very interesting like conversation to have, and I'm definitely listening to your podcast. Oh. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh, I also forgot there was a question here that I didn't actually address. How can I start sugaring? That's a great question as well. So, I mean, the way that I started sugaring was through Seeking Arrangement, and no, this is not sponsored by Seeking Arrangement or any of those sites. Um, but again, it's a, if you want to think about it as like Tinder or Bumble, you're signing up for like a dating app and you get, um, you can browse from certain profiles and then each profile will have um, like their alias, their bio, you know, how much money they make, which may or may not be real, um, and what they're looking for. So it's the same, similar kind of way. So that's how I personally got started. And then once I was a bit more seasoned, because I did that for about three to four years, three years, I think. Um, sometimes I freelanced at like hotel bars because or airports. <laughs> Strike up a conversation at the bar while waiting for your flight. <laughs> so yeah, like those are just certain ways that you can start. But um, if you ever wanted to get started, feel free to message me. But I would just say do your research before doing that because again I've made a lot of mistakes when I first started and I, we don't have enough time for all of that but again like just not screening properly not getting money up front me getting scammed at the end not getting money at the end when they say they're gonna get money like thing yeah it sucks and it happens especially to like a lot of um I would say like newer sex workers so um I see that uh Dylan raised his hand first and then Janae I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. I will address your question afterwards. Dylan, feel free to go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I just also wanted to reiterate what Emily said. I really appreciate you coming in and giving a really uh, fascinating and underheard perspective. Um, I, I was thinking about um, some of my favorite like movies or TV shows, and, like things that depict sex work, things like The Sopranos or Boogie Nights, and it's not a particularly positive depiction. And I was just wondering, what are some uh, common negative stereotypes about sex work that you see depicted in modern media and are there any uh, movies or TV shows etc that you would recommend that depicted in a fair or more positive way yeah good question I, I think I really 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 briefly touched on it in the beginning but yes these negative stereotypes they're always negative it's the same approach every single time it's some drugged up stripper <laughs> you know someone that can't get a job oh who hurt you and like clients trying to save us and <laughs> things like that or like in hustlers they're all bad people <laughs> or you know things like that um those are really stereotypical negative images that you know 
it's just so old. It's such an old way of looking at things. And it just shocks me that, like, it's 2021 and we're still on that narrative. Like, no one's thought to challenge this yet. Like, why can't we look at this as, as like, you know, we actually enjoy what we do. I don't know. <laughs> so that was really, um, like, yeah, like those, they're, they're, they're just tired, right? Um, and everyone's going to have opinions on TV shows. Everyone's going to have an opinion. I've heard praise from certain areas. I've heard, you know, well, they didn't do this part right. Um, I mean, one thing that they did do well in Hustlers, I, I would say, is like the camaraderie, like behind the scenes in the dressing room. I think they did a really great job with that. And they actually did consult with a really famous stripper, Jack the Stripper. She's awesome. But um, I I personally liked P-Valley on Stars. I thought that was entertaining. But And, and I, I will go into this with my opinions, saying that this is entertainment. This is made for TV. Um, but again, like we want to try to show more accurate depictions. But I liked, I liked that show personally. I thought it was cool. But then some of it goes into those stereotypical things like, oh, this person has a baby and she's a single mom. And they went into really stereotypical black stereotypes as well, um, which was really possibly, and I can't assume this, but it might have been more specific to that geographic region in the South and like Mississippi, which was where that show took place. Um, I also really liked season one of The Girlfriend Experience. Uh, I thought that was really cool to show, like, and I'm not... I don't do any full service work anymore, but I thought some of the conversations that the main character had with some of her clients were really real. And again, diminishing stereotypes about what kind of clients see people and why they're seeing escorts and sugar babies. A lot of them just want a connection. They just want someone to talk to. A lot of them are really lonely or they're going on a business trip and they need someone there. A lot of it honestly is talking. And a little, oh, at least my my personal experience is that like a small portion of it was sex at the end, but a lot of it's talking, <laughs> talking and like just being a companion in that in that capacity. So, great question. Um, we're talking about self care in class. How do you practice self care, and have you experienced burnout? Well, I will preface this by saying you should all listen to Alicia's episode on self care. It's such a popular episode in season three, like. Amazing. It was an hour and a half of different types of self-care methods. Oh, gosh. How, like, it was excellent. Tons of great feedback in that, by the way. And uh, how do I practice self-care and have experienced burnout? Yes and yes. I definitely need to exercise self-care more. Um, For me, I really need to, like, how I practice self-care is disconnecting. And I do that by going for massage, uh, going for acupuncture, doing exercise really helps me a lot as well. Um, really getting those endorphins going. That helps me a lot. And just getting away from my laptop or my phone, because a lot of the work that I do right now digitally is on my laptop, on my phone. I'm already working my full-time job, doing all the stuff. I just want to get away from the screen, take a break. Um, Burnout, yes. Honestly, before the pandemic, I was juggling like four different jobs. (laughs) I was like a pole dance instructor. I was a stripper. I was doing my content creation. I was working a full-time 
was working a full-time office job and travel and then I was working at a hotel part-time too like all the things so I experienced burnout every month and I had this thing like well I'm just gonna work a lot and then just go on vacation every month and I did that but that's not exactly super feasible at least not anymore and you can't even travel anymore <laughs> so I had to definitely kind of switch gears and shift my perspective on that and Honestly, I will say the pandemic has been great for me and has caused me to really re self-reflect on what it is I am prioritizing, how I'm prioritizing my time, where I want to spend my time, and just get outdoors a bit more. I live in British Columbia, and it is, it's uh, so beautiful. It's the most beautiful province in Canada. If you haven't visited, borders opening up soon, hopefully. <laughs> Take a nice visit up here. But yeah, getting outdoors, getting fresh air, and just doing things for myself rather than just feeling I always need to be on and working all the time um, was a big game changer for me. So, yeah. The other fewer minutes in, in class. Is there any last-minute questions? And, of course, if you don't get to your question, feel free to just message me on Instagram or email me. I'd be happy to go over any of your questions and answer them if they're respectful so <laughs> yes and if they're not let me know <laughs> i'm really glad that janae asked that question on self-care because that was the question that i was going to ask you um because i knew that that you know and on the episode of your podcast um when I came on and talked about self-care and mental health and mental wellness, um, that was one of the things that we talked about is the similarities between even being a therapist and being a sex worker and just mm -hmm. the connection that you have and how you have to protect yourself, um, meaning protect yourself, meaning take care of yourself um, via self-care. Absolutely. And like going to what I said about like the example was sugar babies and sugar daddies and it being a lot of talking and usually it's a lot of the client dumping a lot of stuff on you that sometimes I just don't have the mental capacity to really deal with. But then mm. again, that's part of my job. I signed up for that. So taking on other people's stuff can be really, really tiring. And also... For us, being a provider can also be seen as a form of therapy. And I really do think it is a form of therapy for sure. So thank you for bringing that up. I totally forgot to mention that. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any other last minute questions? I know we have just jam-packed a lot into today. That's the thing with our summer um, classes. And a shorter version, it's even harder, but we still have a few weeks of content of material, course material that we can't get to in the summer just because we, it is a shorter time frame. So, um, classes are often, every single class is jam packed like this, whether we have a speaker or not. So, um, I just, no other questions, comments or stuff. Follow her social media, listen to her <laughs> podcast. Yes. It's very, it's very great. And we'll have to do maybe in season four, we'll have to do mental health matters yes. part two or something. Definitely. Cause there was already like still so much that we had to go over. So, oh my gosh, I know it, we just didn't have enough time to no. get to everything. <laughs>
But thank you again for inviting me today to speak. It was so thank lovely. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you. We're honored to have you. <laughs> thanks, everyone. And thanks for all the questions. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Bye, Steph. Bye. So that was my talk at Florida State University. Uh, don't forget, it's new episodes every single Sunday. Uh, wherever you get your podcast and it is stripped by Sia on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. I'm very, very active there now. If you want to get at my personal Instagram, it is Sia Steph and we'll catch everyone in for another episode next Sunday. Bye. Listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Bellandorama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Dabern.